Welcome to the Being Known podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. You know, I listened back to some of the stuff in our first season, and I realized that I've changed that intro a little bit. Hmm. You and Amy wanted me to say explore and discover, but I've been, my brain has been fighting that because you cannot explore something before you discover it. No, so you can't. I'm just telling you, from now on, it will be discover and explore. <laughs> Are you okay with that? I am. And not only that, but the more you explore, the more you discover. And the more you discover, the more you explore. And I think, Pep, really, you can't lose here. And Amy and I have known this all along. We've just kind of, we've needed to let you kind of figure this out on your own. <laughs> because that. we Because we know that when we learn things on our own, like when we really take them in, they become embodied. They become part of who we yes. are. And, uh, you know, you all in the audience, you know this. And yes. you've all... You've all been watching Pepper learn new words. You've been watching Pepper <laughs> embody new realities. Yes. Because he's becoming more more well-known. I mean, literally well-known. I mean, I got people asking me, uh-huh. Kurt, when are you going to have your next podcast season? Because we really want to hear Pepper. Yeah. They're, and, they, and, right, because they're, they're calling like, in droves. They are droves. Yes. Now, I don't even know what a drove is. I've never looked up the definition of the word droves. But I know that if I looked that definition up, droves, they would say, like, see people calling for Pepper Sweeney. I, could very well be. Could very um, well be. <laughs> yeah, we could. We are in Google the, it right now. We are in the middle of season two here, and we have been uh, going through the nine domains of integration, which uh, I realized a couple of times I have called the nine degrees of integration, which is not correct. That's the six right. degrees of Kevin Bacon. And right, we exactly. don't want to confuse but, all but, that. I know, but like once you discovered yes. and explored that reality, yes. my guess is that you will not accept on purpose when you will need to for humor effect, call it the nine degrees of integration ever again. I certainly hope not. That is my hope. I'm hoping that uh, grooves are being formed in my brain right now. <laughs> Things are being expanded. Grooves along, in my brain. Along, <laughs> along with my vocabulary. So, right. so when, they, when we say that you're groovy, we'll know exactly what we mean and what we're talking also, about. Also, right about now, I should be getting a text from our producer, Amy, saying, Pepper, watch the ums. That's another thing I get. I didn't know that you got that, that you knew I got that every single show. Pepper, watch the ums. So I'm watching the ums this morning and feeling good as we... Talk about the uh, domain of state today, That's and right. uh, nothing like being nothing like being shamed by your producer right, exactly. while you're on the air. And it happens literally, like you know, I'll we'll be like five minutes in, and I'll let one um slip slip out, <laughs> and I'll get the text that comes up. Watch the That's ums. Right. I know she's like a paratrooper, and you know I'm I'm trying to listen on a deep level here to what you're saying, and all right. I'm thinking about is. Don't let an um come out of your mouth. <laughs> so the domain of state. Goodness. I think um, Alexander Haig was a domain of state back in the 80s, right? <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? He was Reagan's domain he, of state. He was, and he was in charge, <laughs> as we all knew that one fateful day. Yes. Before he was... No longer the domain of state. The domain of state. Tell us, what is the domain right. of state? So 
when we were getting ready for this episode, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I, I think I really enjoy exploring this because we've already discovered it, exploring this topic, uh, because I think there's, there's so much, uh, th- there's a lot of practical things that we can not just learn from it, but that we can apply. And that is, I think, really useful for us as we consider what it means to be known, as we consider what it means to be more whole, more integrated people, as we consider what it means to live into the kingdom of God, as we discover what it means to be seeking after and becoming beauty and creating beauty in the world. And what we mean by this notion of a state of mind, we, we, we use that phrase frequently. Uh, you all know what how, how often you've used, like, I'm in a certain state of mind. Billy Joel, a New York state of mind. Yeah. What a beautiful song. And it turns out that it's a real thing. What we mean by a state of mind actually is grounded in the neuroscience of practiced experiences that are in certain contexts. So it might be uh, easiest if I just give us an example. Uh, one state of mind, for example, would be when we get up in the morning, if your alarm goes off most days of the week, especially pre-code, if we were going to go somewhere to work, your alarm goes off and almost immediately I step into a routine. My alarm goes off. I take a few minutes to wake up. I get out of bed. I go into the bathroom. We turn the light in. We start the shower. There's this routine. And in many respects, most days, there's not a lot of conscious effort or thought that I have to give to that. It's pretty automatic. And we might say, oh, that's automatic behavior. And it is, that is typically generated through lots of practice and eventually becomes implicit. When we were talking about the domain of memory, we talked about the difference between implicit and explicit memory. Implicit being that part of our brain, involving the parts of our brain that are not consciously engaged. I don't have to consciously and intentionally explicitly think about doing this. I'm just kind of on autopilot doing these things. In the brain, there would be a collection and pattern of neural networks that are firing, not just at a single moment in time, but over a period of time. So the alarm goes off and over the next, how much time gets passed? 10, 15, 20 minutes as one gets to your shower and gets out, gets dressed, all the routine. That's just one example of a particular state of mind that we enter into. But we can have other states of mind. If on a Saturday I was going to get up and go play tennis instead, there would be a completely different set of neural pathways that we would say would be stable. So those pathways that are part of a particular state are a stable pattern. And by stable, we mean that they're relatively unchanging. Now, it doesn't mean that they're rigid, absolutely, but it does mean that they are relatively fixed in their pattern, and that means that they're pretty predictable. And so I can enter into this state, I then transition, once I get my shower, I transition to go to work. And by the time I get to the office, for instance, the state of mind starts to be very different than the state that I was in when I was getting a shower, all that breakfast routine, all those kinds of things. Now I'm at the office and my brain has transitioned to a whole host of different things that I'm paying attention to. And it would be very different if I'm going to play tennis. We enter into these states of mind throughout our day, all day, every day. 
And these patterns tend to be stable. And that's important because it allows me to do a number of things without having to think consciously, burn a lot of energy consciously every moment of every day about what I'm doing next, every footfall, so forth and so on. It enables me to do that while I might even be thinking about other things. We talk about what we might call macro states, so larger states of mind. So when I get to the office, my mind enters a particular realm of things that I'm anticipating, things that I'm looking for, right? I'm going to be meeting with patients. I'm going to be writing in my charts. I'm going to be calling pharmacies. There'll be all these different things that we're doing that are all part of the large macro state of mind of Kurt is at work, right? But within that macro state, there are sub-states, even down to the micro-states that we might call. So, for instance, I have a particular state that I enter into when I see my 9 o'clock patient that will be different when I see my 10 o'clock or my 2 o'clock or my 3 o'clock that will be different because I'm having a different interaction with these different people. So there's going to be different states of mind. And even within that hour of seeing a patient, there may be different, even smaller micro-states that show up. And there might be a certain theme that we don't always talk about with a certain patient, but we get to that on Tuesday, and that takes us into a certain state of mind, me into a certain state of mind that is different from the state of mind that I was in for most of that hour. I think you all get the picture that we're talking about these different states, but a couple of things that are crucial about this. One is that they are stable And the fact that they're stable means they're not altogether that interested in changing unless they get a fair bit of warning. Our brains don't really like it when we have sudden changes in states of mind without warning, especially if those states of mind lead to distressing emotional experiences. Yeah, I I'm so, just, just quickly just thinking yeah. about maybe think of I had a friend of mine that um, so when I was living in California we were living in the Santa Clarita Valley which is sort of a uh, more conservative area I would say for the most part and he worked in Hollywood which is the less conservative little less conservative right <laughs> so he would say he would say you know when I drive to work in the morning I listen to NPR to get myself ready and when I drive back I listen to conservative radio to get myself. <laughs> Ready for home. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've said, I've said this in, in other public settings. You know, when I'm at work at our practice, I am master of the universe. Of course. Not, and then not I go home. like this podcast. Right. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you've discovered. Yes. And that we are exploring how that is the case. And then I go home where I am not master of the universe. The problem is that I often don't remember that I'm not master of the universe when I get home. And this brings us to another really important element about states of mind, and that is that one of the most important features of them is not just that we have them, but that we transition from one to another to another throughout our day, whether they are from one macro to another macro state, or within a macro state from that particular state then to a micro state that we weren't expecting. And our maturity, our degree of integration is often measured by 
our capacity to transition well from one state to another. Mm. And so much of what creates human distress, so much of what creates challenges for us interpersonally, as well as intrapersonally, within my own mind, has everything to do with the effectiveness with which I transition from one state to another. And this is also made more complicated by yet another feature of states, which is that I don't just have a state of mind that I have by myself when I'm at the practice or when I'm with Phyllis at home or when I'm with my friends or whatever. We have collaboratively constructed states of mind. So my one patient and I have a certain state that we create together. And then there's another state that I create with another patient. And we notice that part of my transition is not just about the degree to which I will pay attention to the fact that I'm, oh, leaving the office and I'm going home and I need to prepare for the fact that when I walk in the door, I want to walk into a different state, the state that's actually there, rather than the one where I thought like, like I'm in charge here, and be prepared. But recognizing that when I do, I'm entering into a state that I'm going to collaboratively construct with my wife or with my kids. And that whole notion of anticipating, this gets back to this question of beauty. That, you know, we, we talk about that, that beauty sometimes surprises us, but if we are paying attention to the notion that God is calling us to create beauty throughout our day, part of how that happens is our willingness to intentionally, preemptively, anticipate that we're going to move from one state of mind to another and prepare for that and see it as an opportunity for moving to create the next thing that we're going to create, the next icon of beauty that we're going to create today. So um, this makes me think of in the theater and in film, transitions are so important. Oh, I God, mean, say more so about that. So very important. So I uh, I'll give you an example. The, the very first play that I ever directed was a play called The Hasty Heart. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was a movie in the, mm. probably the 40s or something. It takes place in a, a World War II army hospital. Um, and so in order to get, for, in order for me to get the audience engaged and ready, even at the top of the play, I started a transition from black, the sun coming up, Oh, that the uh, the uh, airplanes flying overhead, and then right as they hit the top, the stage is lit, and the first actor comes in, and that transition to get you ready to be in right. that place, and then and then every transition between scenes, you know, there's different things you can do with with transitions. It can be long transitions if you want them to be. If you're wanting people to to contemplate or think, they can be mm -hmm. seamless transitions. If you just mm -hmm. wanted to feel like mm -hmm. there was no passage mm -hmm. of time, there's mm -hmm. so many th and, and transitions. The space between is so so important. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That man. What a beautiful example. And like I think about your work as an actor and as a director, and how like all the things that we've talked about so far, like the macro, the micro, and the fact that it's not just, you know, a state for one actor. It's like we're doing this together. There's this 
you know, yeah. complexity. Yeah. Say more about that. No, well, I wish you would have spoken to me years ago. I had a more successful acting career than <laughs> I ended up having. <laughs> because all of these tools, I mean, everything that we talk about, you know, so much of the of the actor is is about and the the story director, storytellers, it's about setting this the tone. It's mm-hmm. about um creating the environment mm-hmm. and it's about mm-hmm. connecting with other people. Acting is reacting. You it's so hard to act by yourself or oh, you know right. there's many times where if you're acting on film where say you're doing your close up and the other person is next to the camera delivering the mm-hmm. lines to you and there's times where that that actor doesn't want to be there. So they mm. just put anybody there, the, the script supervisor, a stand-in, anybody. Wow. And it makes it wow. so much harder because yeah. if you don't have those eyes to look in, the ones that you've been acting with all this time and, and all of that, it's it's very difficult. Right. And there are, you know, there are a lot of actors that just, you know, they don't want to be there for the close-up, so they so they just aren't and they don't see it's important. I was a, a friend of mine was talking about he was on a on a job once and the director on his close-up, gave him no direction. Instead, she was giving the direction to the person who was off-camera so that that person would be evoking things from the person that was on-camera just through the way that they were... uh, Yeah, fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this immediately, too, Pepper, draws my attention to this notion. You know, we, we, we... think about what we're doing here in in light of the biblical narrative, in light mm-hmm. of Christian anthropology, in light of this notion that we believe that we are made in God's image, that we are made to both bear his image and to reflect his image and to restore his image in the creation. And I think about Genesis chapter one. There are different, st- every day has a different state and there is evening and there was morning and there was a second day. And the writer is getting us ready to like transition to the next state. And then you get to the end of day five, the beginning of day six, and God has made all these things. And then he gets to humankind and there's this conversation. Let us make mankind in our image. I think we've said here before, if you're in that conversation and you have any sense at all about what God is aware of that he's about to get into and that at some point it's going to lead to Good Friday. That takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a lot of work. Let us make mankind, let us make humankind in our image. And yet I think about what does it mean for me to say, no, let me go home and be in my home with Phyllis. Let let me do this. Which means I'm not just like calculating, oh, I'm now going home. No, I want to picture in my mind that I'm walking in the kitchen to be with a person. I'm walking to be with my bride. I'm not just walking in to, you know, this is not just the matrix where it's just a set of code that's running up and down. This is a real person who's had, who knows what their day has been like, but I really want to go in and be present and with that person intentionally, on purpose. And of course, the challenge for us to become increasingly integrated is to be able to not only bring that to bear in our lives, but also to be aware that there will be challenges to that. And those challenges come from a couple of different directions. 
they come, first of all, from the fact that, you know, my capacity to anticipate and to think about other people and where they are and this next state that I'm going to move into has everything to do with all the things that we've been talking about this season. It has everything to do with like how awake, right, alert and attuned I am, right? right? How conscious am I? To what degree are all those other previous domains speaking, right? If I, if I come home but it's been a long day for me and I'm tired and I have a certain part of my ancient story that is like knocking on my door. It interferes with and keeps me from being able to be present and move to transition well into that next state. And so part of what we're aware of is that my own interpersonal neurobiological story, my own attachment processes, all of those things are always going to be shaping how well I'm paying attention to what state I'm in and into which state I'm next gonna transition. And then the other thing is that, you know, we can't control for how things are going to come to us from other people in this collaborative state-making process. So, I, you know, I think about, like, for all the dudes that are listening, you know, for both of you that are out there that are listening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> three of us I'm listening to, Kurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, that are out there. Right. All right. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, you know... Uh, I, you know, there's, there are certain times when it's, it, you know, it's, it's been, it's been, you know, it's, it's been a week and I'm interested in being with my wife and I'm in, in the sexual loving way. And so I'm, I'm aware of lots of states, right? When I'm interested in having sex with her, I'm like, I'm very aware of all kinds of states because like I'm interested in one particular state and I want to get there. And so it's a Friday or a Saturday, whatever the day is, like I am working my tail off to be very attentive to everything because I am moving this ball down the field. Because there's an object at the end of the day that you want to reach. Right, exactly, exactly. There is a holy grail. And you've got to tiptoe through the minefield of this relationship. (laughs) You you do. And so I'm doing everything. Like I am sweeping the porch. I am washing the dishes. I am doing everything. Everything in my power. And then that's called foreplay, just in case yeah, you it is. I'm telling you, it's called four, five, six, <laughs> ten play. It's called every it's called every play in the book. <laughs> like because I am aware of my state. And so what happens? We're sitting at dinner, and like this is going very well. To yes. put it in your words, yes. right? It's, it's going, going very, very well. well. And we're sitting at we're sitting at dinner. And we're having some kind of conversation and, you know, she asks me a question or makes a comment and I say something innocently enough without recognizing that I have just turned the course of the day. I see the look, I hear the tone of voice and without going any, like the state of mind of the entire day turns on a dime. You, I like, I feel it in my chest. I've said something and all I now, like I am overwhelmed with the deep abiding awareness of, I'm not getting any tonight. This is, <laughs> this is not happening. These kinds of shifts. And like, I think all of our listeners who are in the married way, who are doing, like, we all get it. This notion of how quickly, or or other other experiences where uh, I, I had to learn. You've you we've talked about this sense of like you've been away for oh, a period yeah, of time. Oh yeah, I'll tell you. So so um, 
you know, pre-COVID, I was, you know, I do a lot of travel for work. I'll be gone yeah. for sometimes up to a couple of weeks at a time, come home for a couple of days and go back out again. And so often I was coming home and, you know, I think I was probably coming home having just had some big success, you know, on the road, coming home and, and you know, wanting wanting to come home as all hail the conquering hero kind of thing when I come in the house, which is just, you know, I know. Well, I, I feel as like those doing words, that with you when we get on this podcast. Right, as those words come out of my mouth, I realize how ridiculous it is. But, you know, that was my state of mind. And yeah. I'd come in and um, and wouldn't receive what I was hoping to receive. And no one at home was receiving what they were hoping to receive. And, you know, within, you know, a short period of time, I'm— I'm a jerk and I don't know, you know, yeah. I don't know what I've done. And yeah. um, I had to really think about that. We, we, we would call it a rough reentry. I had to really mm-hmm. think about that transition and um, think about how I could look. The fact of the matter is I wasn't the hero in that scene. You know, my wife for the last two weeks had been doing everything. You know, she works, yeah. she's taking care of the, you know, kids, she's taking care of the house, doing all the, you know, doing all the things. She's working 10 times harder than I am. Right. <laughs> and I come home expecting to be, you know, so. Her, her, her fourth child comes home. So, so there's one thing. We had camp. Right, exactly. So there's <laughs> one thing where I would, I would come home and then I'd be like, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say hi to everybody and I'm going to go right to the dishwasher, right to the laundry. And that's, that's going to help. And it would to a certain extent. But as we've talked about, you and I've talked about, there was a certain Part of it that was just me being there was a problem because right. yeah. because while I'm gone, I wasn't one of the cogs in the machine. And so they fixed the machine to run smoothly without me. And then all of a sudden, I'm like getting in the messing up all the yeah. gears and even though I'm trying to help. Right. And so, right. yeah, it's a, there was a tough transition. And we've worked on it, you know, consciously worked on it. And, you know, the crazy thing is, is we, we, we worked on the state of mind so much when I'm gone that we would have great connections when I'm gone and and feel really close. You know, we built in systems to where we would, you know, text and talk and and all those things. And then I'd come home and and it just would blow up. Right. Yeah. Well, your your story is really highlighting this reality that you know, we we talk about the mind being a complex system and we we, you know, we're not trying to overdo the physics here, but we talk about complex systems as being not so much linear or Newtonian in the way that they work, but they're much more uh, like they much more play to the rules of quantum mechanics. So, kind of like an atomic explosion, like the whole is larger than the sum of its parts. You don't just get with one input; you don't just get one output. You get one input, and you get three or four or five output. And so this notion that like what you and Nell create together is larger than the sum of just you and Nell. And so we create, so so we're doing everything, you know, I'm doing everything I think I can do. Phyllis is doing everything she thinks she can do. And we get together. And yet there is still this system that we've created that feels even bigger than the two of us. Such that even when we feel like we're doing everything we can do, there are always going to be variables that are part of me and that are part of her, part of me and part of my other friend, whatever that's, that may enter and shape and form the moment, form the state of mind that sometimes catches us off guard. And this is, again, I think where we all are learning. We are like growth. 
we might call it sanctification, is about this process of encountering shifts, unexpected shifts in our states of mind that create relatively sharp or deep or broad experiences of distress in which we are now given the opportunity to expand, to enlarge, to widen our window of tolerance. We've talked about that before. To expand our capacity to sit with this emotion that I'm now having and now transition my cognition and so forth and so on. So when we come back in, in you know, when you re-enter or when Phyllis and I are having that conversation at the dinner table and things make a, a right-hand turn with no warning, the question in that moment is, you know, am I able to pause, take a breath, take a step back, and be curious about what's happening in the moment? Hmm. Because it is in these moments that the Holy Spirit, we would say, is opening the door to an opportunity for growth that, of course, I didn't see happening. And this brings us back to this notion that, you know, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like I'm often, you know, we talk about these states of mind. I feel like, okay, I, I have to buckle down. Like, I have to be in charge of my state of mind. I can't make any mistakes. As if... Jesus isn't in the room, as if like there isn't a caretaker, as if the Holy Spirit is not working. So he who has begun a good work in you will complete it, will bring it to completion. There are many times when even though I hear that he is the potter and he's forming me, there are many times when I feel like I'm kind of out here on my own. I'm having to do all my own self-formation. I'm having to regulate my own states of mind. I don't, I don't have any sense that, like, uh, Jesus might be here, but he's, like, standing over at the edge of the kitchen, kind of, like, watching it happen, not getting very involved, and I'm not very happy about that. And so part of, part of our capacity in growing in our, how we transition from one state to another has everything to do with the degree to which we are able to keep one eye keep Jesus in our peripheral vision and not see him as being, you know, on the other side of the kitchen, but see him being sitting right at my table. That when I walk in the door at night after the office is done, after the office work is done, that I'm walking in the door anticipating that, like I, to picture this in my mind, that Jesus is walking in right in front of me. He's coming in right behind me. And when I get there, he's already standing next to the refrigerator looking at me, winking at me, looking at Phyllis, looking at me, and saying, like, let's do this together. This whole notion of remain in me as I am in the Father that he talks about in John's Gospel. This notion that as I am paying more and more attention, as I am immersed in the Scriptures, as I practice worship, as I do meditation work, as I contemplate beauty, I allow Jesus literally to be more and more at home, occupying literally the very neural networks in my mind that are involved in all of these states of mind and that are moving and transitioning from one to another so that he becomes the bridge from one to another. The Holy Spirit becomes the bridge from one state to another, even in those microstates, even when those states involve ruptures that we can then take the time that is necessary to then repair those ruptures. One of the things that we've talked about in, in future episodes, we'll come back and talk about this in more detail, is the phenomenon of trauma. Right. 
And trauma has a particular definition in the sense that, that the person who's experienced trauma by definition has the perception that they've encountered some kind of event, whether it's an interpersonal event, singular personal event, whatever that is, that they perceive to be A, overwhelming, and B, over which they have no agency to do anything about. I feel powerless about this. I perceive that I'm overwhelmed, and I perceive that I am powerless to yeah. change it. We talked about states of mind being helpful and useful because they are predictable, because they are stable, and our transition from one to another usually follows a certain predictable pattern. But if I've grown up in a home where emotional or sexual abuse has taken place, if I've had traumatic experiences at work, if I've had these kinds of experiences, it interferes with literally the neural architecture that enables me to transition effectively from one state to another. And so part of what's important for you all who are listening is you might hear about this state of mind and you might think, oh, there's, you can think of any number of different people that we would say that create, with whom you create, you know, particular collaborative states of mind. And you might think, well, yeah, I can think of a number of people or one person in particular who, when I imagine being in the room with them, my mind goes to mush. You know, my heart rate goes up. I become afraid and so forth because the state of mind that is engendered with that particular person is one that primarily accesses your brain stem and your limbic circuitry and your panic buttons and so forth and so on. And, and this person might even be dead, right? But if you imagine them in mind because it happened when you were a kid, these are the kinds of things that we have to be aware of and that we need then a community of faithful followers, a community, our, our, this, this great cloud of witnesses that we like to describe. Who are the people, once again, who are in our lives, who are helping us to learn, A, how to practice paying attention to the fact that we have states of mind, B, that I can begin to name them, think about what they are, that I can then also begin to pay attention to the, the moments of transition from one to another. And I think as we get close to the end of our time here today, Pepper, I would say that there are two or three things that I think that we could do. One, one thing that you all can do to begin to become more familiar with this and to eventually allow your awareness of states of mind to enhance your wholeness, your connection with others and with God, would be, first of all, is you could do this quick exercise. Is just take 10 or 15 minutes and just in your journal or a piece of paper, list the number of different states of mind that you can imagine that you've been through. Just list them. There's no right or wrong answer to that. Kind of how we've been talking about them today. They can be macro states. They can be micro states. Just to list them. Give me an example of just list, list like five states of mind for me right now. So I, I can tell you, so I'm in a particular state of mind. Like, I love what we're doing right now. Yeah. Like, I can feel it in my chest. I, I see your face. I know that, you know, we've come off, you know, come away from talking to Amy. We're going to go back to this. This whole state of mind of being in the podcast, like, I just love this. This is going to change when we're done. And I'm going to move. Now, I've got some other work I have to do when I get done that is going to be work I enjoy doing, but it's going to be a very different state when I'm sitting in my chair just typing on my laptop. And then later, I have to do chart work today. And chart work is a state of mind that is bland at best. 
it feels burdensome. It like there's a whole state of mind that I enter into. So those would be like three different states of mind. My wife is currently away on a trip. When she comes back, I'm anticipating the state of mind that I'm going to be in when I enter. When you know when when you know when I enter that sphere where she re-enters the house and we are together again. Those would be like large states of mind. Mm-hmm. I would think, you know, even the state of mind that changes when we move from getting home at night, for example, from work, and then you transition to going to dinner. You're sitting at your table, eating your evening meal. There are certain things that happen around a table that weren't happening 20 minutes earlier. Like that's a smaller transition, smaller states of mind. Is that that helpful? Yeah, Yeah. that's helpful. So just listing that. But then also one of the ways that we can like list them, include in this is, and, and these wouldn't be things that we would necessarily imagine that we would want to do. But I would say... Can you think of any number of one, two, five, more or more experiences that you've had in the last week, two weeks, month that involve other people that may be in their presence or even in the privacy of your own mind in which you've experienced some sense of distress, some sense of afflicting emotional state? Now, you wouldn't necessarily want to consider that as a a particular state, but like I can think of people... I can imagine that we all have these experiences with certain relationships that when I imagine being with that person, like I feel a certain sense of great joy and delight like I do here. There might be others with whom when we imagine being with them, it's a very different feeling, a very different state of mind. And I would want us to name those things because part of the difficulty for us is that those states of mind that we find to be afflicting are often ones that we don't want to think about. I want to avoid that. I want to move away from that. I want to like I want to deny that that's happening. And the issue is that I'm still burning energy containing that state of mind somewhere in my neural circuitry. And what God wants to do is to find his way into every particular state of mind where trauma or shame or all of those disintegrating affective states still remain bring them into the light, invite us to be paying attention to his voice and his gaze and his seeing us and his seeing our enemy and his looking at both of us and saying to us, I'm about to change the state of mind that you both share together by paying attention to me and what I'm going to invite you to do to love one another deeply. Can I ask something quickly? So so on the other side of that, so you and I are here and we're kind of experiencing what you're just talking about, right? as yeah. a state of mind. Yeah. So yeah. so like those things, those negative things that are still burning in every state of mind, doesn't that work the other way as well? Can't we teach ourselves to take this part, the the good, and take it into our other states of mind? We can. Not only not only that, we would say that the notion of earned secure attachment, which we've talked about in other episodes, this notion that when I'm with someone, when I talk to a counselor and that counselor invites me to tell them a story about another state of mind that I find to be painful or afflicting, the very presence of that counselor enables me to shift and change that state of mind. Moreover, we all have been talking for a long time now about the presence and place and purpose and meaning of beauty in our lives. When we with intention, pursue beauty. When we allow ourselves to put ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty, 
we allow that beauty to percolate into and permeate into those states of mind that heretofore have been painful. And those states of mind are transformed. And that beauty can come by sitting with the lilacs. Mm -hmm. That beauty can come by listening to Beethoven's Ninth. That beauty can come by listening to you reciting Wendell Berry, his poem. That beauty can come in the presence of someone who is mercifully and compassionately hearing your story. We allow and submit those states of mind to God for the purpose of taking those ones that are painful and allowing them to be transformed. So I want to take this opportunity to tell you folks about uh, the Center for Being Known and uh, actually have Kurt tell you about the Center of Being Known. They have an event coming up and uh, I'm excited about it personally. Kurt, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the Center for Being Known and about this event that you have that you're planning. Thanks, Pep. Most of you will not be aware that for a number of years uh, in hibernation has been a small nonprofit organization called the Center for Being Known. And we exist for the mission of being able to create a space where people can come together and be connected. Anyone who really has an interest or a vested stake in what's taking place in life at this intersection between interpersonal neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation. And as it turns out, that's not just something that applies to psychotherapy or to the mental health field. We believe that this place of convergence of neuroscience and spiritual formation is something that has application deeply in many realms, in fact, every realm of vocational domain that we occupy. So whether you're in church ministry or you're in education or you're running a law practice or an accounting firm or you're a carpenter or you're a truck driver, whatever it is, if you're a gardener or a farmer, whatever it is, we want this to be a space where you can come together and be connected with like-minded people who are asking the questions, how can these questions of neuroscience and spiritual formation speak into my life in practical ways that I can then take away and then apply this and actually even create a community of my own who can both exercise and engage and apply these principles in our own particular domains of life. And to that end, CBK, as we call it, the Center for Being Known, will be having its inaugural annual conference virtually on October 22nd, Friday, October 22nd, this coming year, this coming fall, 2021. And we would invite you all to be there. You can find out more information about this by looking online at thecbk.org, thecbk.org. We expect that this is going to be an opportunity for people of a wide range of different communities, different vocational callings to come together to be nourished in this way of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation. In fact, we're going to have four speakers, including myself, four other speakers who will be giving us a window into how they are applying this work one in ministry, one in education, one in leadership, and one in the field of psychotherapy. Each of them, uh, people that I know personally and that are really skilled at applying this kind of work. And so with that in mind, I want to invite you all to consider doing that again, October 22nd, 2021, our first 
annual CBK conference called Connections. Please join us there. Excellent. So you can find out more at thecbk.org. And not only are the states transformed, but Pepper, here's the beautiful thing. So is my ability to transition from one to another. And increasingly becoming more full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To become living, breathing, pulsating fruit of the Spirit means that with each new transition from one state to another, even the ones that catch me off guard, even the ones that feel painful, I'm going to be more able to see Jesus in the room and allow him to be the bridge that moves me from what feels painful to what is living, breathing beauty in the places where I would have least expected it. Hmm. That's great, Kurt. It's a great picture. Hmm. I think it's a good place for us to end, although I feel like there's more to talk about. Uh, we'll have right to, on. We will have to pick up more on this conversation. There's things that are f- flying around in my brain that I'd like to, I'd like to share with you, even, even ways that I've been experiencing beauty lately. Okay, wait, but, wait, wait. Like, g- uh, g- give, me one, give me one example. Okay, one example. Give us one. I sent you a picture maybe a month ago, maybe, maybe, a, maybe more, of a robin who was building a nest outside my window. Okay, it so, was unfreaking believable. So let me tell you, this robin sat on that nest for a solid, I, I mean, it felt like a month, right? And wow. it snowed, it rained. Oh. I took a bunch of pictures. I would go visit like every day and sit and watch as she and her the, the male would be bringing, you know, food for her all day long. And then as the, as the eggs hatched, and as these babies grew, and you know, one day I looked and they were they were huge, and the next day they were gone. Right. But yeah. it was such a beautiful thing to to stop every day and just experience that, you know. And the whole family was kind of in on it, you know, taking pictures with each and sending them to each other. And but it was just a you know gorgeous thing of beauty. Well, I think of like what we're talking about these states of mind that we're talking about today, and I think about. The intentionality that was, you know, first it gets your attention, perhaps unexpectedly, mm-hmm. you, you know, you discover it. But then with intention, you turn your attention toward it and you begin to watch it. And we then can see how allowing that practice of putting yourself in the path of the oncoming beauty of this phenomenon, mm-hmm. this, this beauty that is unfolding shapes how we move through our day when we're not in front of the robin. It helps transition us from one state to another because we are being imbued with, we are being suffused with this notion of beauty in such a way that it is affecting us, especially even in ways that we're not necessarily explicitly, consciously thinking about Mm -hmm. in my rational brain. And it's just one more example of how, you know, We like to say, you know, the brain operates bottom to top and right to left. And God has made us this way. And he meets us in the way that he's made us. And that picture of beauty that you've just shared is one of so many different ways in which God really wants to transform us. And with today's subject, doing so by transforming our states of mind. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you, Kurt. It's a great conversation. Thank you, Pep, as always. 
Love you. Next time. Next time. All right, brother. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and music is by Keaton Simons. If you'd like to connect with us, you can visit us on our website, beingknownpodcast.com, or you can find us on social media at beingknownpod. Be well, be known.